0: All right, open your Bibles or navigate on your devices to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, we're going to put in at verse 24 and uh, go into chapter 22 to verse 5. The topic, nations and kings who inhabit the new earth give glory and honor to Jesus. The title of our message, Make Earth Great Again. Lord, you will make earth great again. You'll make uh, eternity wonderful and marvelous for those who love you. We will go on and on and on, Lord, serving you, knowing you, plumbing the depths of your heart. We appreciate this word, Lord, that, that you would entrust to us the, uh, some of the knowledge of the future, things that we can be absolutely sure of, Lord, that will help us in those times that we're unsure, when we seem to be struggling and having difficulties, Lord. We're going to see that the curse is lifted from that world but we live under that curse right now lord curse of sin and death of course as christians we've defeated those things we are overcomers nevertheless we suffer we uh, we see the world suffering lord we struggle all of us have some kind of burden lord today that we've brought in with us i pray that we could learn a little bit more about casting our cares and burdens upon you knowing how much you care for us It's a great text, Lord, to learn that from because it shows your heart towards us, what you want for us, what you're going to do for us. And Lord, I pray that you would indeed be revealed in a really big way, Lord, as we go through these verses. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, amen. I sometimes think we really shouldn't even have done it. There was a lot of pressure on us at that time to do one big last show. But big is always bad in comedy. The show was Seinfeld, and Jerry Seinfeld shared that regret in an interview. Series-ending episodes are more often than not panned by critics and fans alike. You find The X-Files, Star Trek Enterprise, and Lost on that list. Who can forget the last episode of beloved Little House on the Prairie? Spoiler alert, Uh, by the way, if you haven't seen it by now, I think it was a thousand years ago, so. (laughs) The little house was reduced to smithereens, along with the rest of Walnut Grove. In the TV special called The Last Farewell, the residents destroy their property to stop it from falling into the hands of a sinister development tycoon. Fans hated it. The revelation has come to its last episode. There's more to chapter 22, 16 verses more, and one more Bible study to be exact. Nevertheless, in verse 5, John says, "...and they shall reign forever and ever." It brings to a conclusion the future revelation he has received. The rest is encouragement, application, and exhortation for the church throughout the ages. The final episode has us checking out activity on New Earth and strolling around New Jerusalem. All is good. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, you will have a view of the perfect earth. And number two, you will have a vista of the pure river. Let's take a look at earth future earth, new earth, in verse uh, chapter 21, rather. Luxury hotels often offer you a view for a premium. If you can afford a room at Disney's Grand Californian, you might as well shell out the extra dough for a view of California Adventure. It's fun for the kids at night to see everything lit up and all. It's only five or $600 more, so don't worry about it. No, I made that up, but it's pretty close. Yeah, you wanna have some fun? Look at the price of Disney hotels. Woo. Think of yourself in the mansion, in your mansion, rather, in New Jerusalem. You're enjoying a perfect pastor's pour. Uh, You're looking out over the renewed planet orbiting below. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The it is the fantastic New Jerusalem described earlier in the chapter. The city comes down from heaven to hover over new earth. John told us a couple of times that there's no sun because the Lord is the light for the new heavens and new earth. The citizens and governments of new earth shall walk in its light, and that light is the radiant glory of God. There are kings over nations on the new earth. John Walvoord wrote, if Abraham is to remain Abraham throughout eternity and David is to remain David, so also will it be with those who are saved among the Gentiles. There's no indication that nationality of individuals will be stressed, but the fact that they belong to a nation is revealed in the description of New Jerusalem. Jesus will return to earth to end the seven-year great tribulation. We call his return the second coming. The Lord described one of his first acts upon returning. Matthew quotes him in his gospel. He says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels." And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Sheep and goats are designations for humans who survive the great tribulation. Jesus separates believers, the sheep, from non-believers, the goats. Non-believers are removed from earth to await their final judgment. Believers who survive the great tribulation will be the initial citizens of the kingdom of God on earth. We call his kingdom the millennial kingdom or the millennium because it lasts 1,000 years. Millianum is Latin for 1,000 years. So it's the kingdom of God on earth, millennial kingdom, millennium, 1,000-year kingdom. It has all of these different designations. Human beings who live during this 1,000 years are actually the true millennials, right? We have a millennial generation, but it's not them. They need to think of a new name because these are the real millennials. These surviving believers from all over earth will retain their ethnicity. They will return to their nations. Kings will govern them under our supervision. We've seen in the revelation that saints are to rule and reign and judge in the last day or in the millennium. And so there will be nations with kings over them, government and leadership, and we will help out. They will engage in commerce. It's going to be like earth on spiritual steroids because the conditions will be so wonderful with Jesus ruling and reigning. These millennials will start having children. They and their offspring repopulate the earth. Conditions on earth during the kingdom age will be pretty near perfect. Resources will be abundant. The ensuing population explosion won't need Thanos to come along and correct it. It is impossible to calculate the final population of the millennium. There are too many variables that were not given. I did find one intriguing article. The author postulated how quickly Earth could be repopulated after some disaster nearly wipes out the population. He, he's not a Christian talking about uh, you know Armageddon or any of those kinds of things, but he's just thinking about the end of the world and it, let's say just a few people were left. He writes, humanity could bounce back surprisingly fast. At the turn of the 20th century, the Hutterite community of North America achieved the highest level of population growth ever recorded, doubling every 17 years. It's a tough task, but if each woman had eight children, conditions would be a lot better, people are going to live a lot longer, it won't be an unusual thing. But if, it's just theoretical. If each woman had eight children, we'd be back to 7 billion people in just 556 years. I said I couldn't calculate the math, so obviously, in between services, somebody calculated the math because you know that's only 500 years. There's another 400 years in the millennium. They calculated that uh, the doub- it, there would be 26 more doublings over that next 400 and some odd years. After the first eight doublings, you'd be in the trillions, and so it's an uh, it's a potentially astronomical number. It's like one of those numbers with you know where they say. 10 with 1 million zeros after it or something like that. So population's not going to be a problem. The po- a potential population is staggering. Now, millennials uh, those, uh, and those born to them will be in unredeemed human bodies. Uh, the, their children will be dead in trespasses and sins. They enter saved, but their children will be born and de- dead in trespasses and sins, and they'll need to be born again to have eternal life. Fast forward to the end of the thousand years, multitudes of them will reject Jesus, refusing his salvation. We saw that in chapter 20. Worse, there be led in a rebellion against Jesus by the devil. For the sake of argument, let's say that the majority of the people born in the millennium reject the Lord and perish eternally. I think I've given you enough information to conclude that there will still be billions of believers, maybe trillions, organized into nations with leaders over them. We know one more thing about these people and people in general. Human bodies must at some point be transformed into glorified bodies. The apostle Paul said, now this I say brethren, flesh and blood, talking about our mortal human body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. The kingdom of God in this verse is not the millennium, he's talking about eternity. All he's saying here is that you cannot go to heaven, what we say go to heaven or enter eternity in a regular human body. And so these believers who survive at the end of the thousand years at some point will be transformed into glorified human bodies. These surviving saints will be transformed and will be at least some of the people that are inhabiting new earth in their various nations ruled by kings i'm hoping to get a stint you know in italy at some point but uh who knows verse 25 its gates shall not be shut at all by day there's not going to be any night there no ancient city's gates were open 24 7 too dangerous would be like having no border crossings at all having a completely open border in eternity however there are no threats folks come and go as they please And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. The glory of the nations is mentioned for the second time. Reminds me of scenes in movies when emissaries from foreign lands bring gifts to the monarch. If my memory serves, uh, there's a scene like that before Moses appears before Pharaoh in the Ten Commandments. Representatives from the nations on new earth will bring their gifts to the Lord. It'll be a constant stream of of gift giving from the earth, new earth to new Jerusalem. Verse 27, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, none of these kinds of people will exist by then. They'll all have been taken care of. They'll all have been consigned to eternal conscious punishment. So we read this verse as if we are in the first century, and it's a reminder a warning even that people who defile and cause abomination or lie will be excluded from heaven. So right now, as I'm talking about this glorious new Jerusalem, this new earth, and letting you know that it can only be populated by saved individuals, it's a warning to anybody here who's not a believer that uh, they cannot inherit what we're talking about without being born again. So it's an evangelistic call. It's not a description of people outside the gates begging or trying to come over the walls of new jerusalem Uh, it's it's a message that you need to get saved before it's too late the book of life is mentioned for the sixth time in the revelation it initially contains a list of the names of all those who jesus died for who are they well the bible says god so loved the world that he gave jesus and it says he is the savior of all men especially those who believe The world encompasses everyone ever conceived. All men is the human race. God loves them all, and Jesus died to save them all. Not all will be saved, of course. God therefore removes the names of human beings who die in non-belief, having rejected the gift of salvation. Their names will be, the Bible says elsewhere, blotted out. And so you have this book, Everybody's name is in there. I don't know how it's organized, whether it's alphabetical or who knows. Uh, And everybody's name is in there because Jesus died for the sins of the world to save all men. But that verse goes on to say, especially those who believe. There's a a time when he uh, sends his Holy Spirit to open your heart, to free your will, to uh, make a decision for him or against him. And those who consistently reject Christ will be lost for eternity, and once they are, the Bible says after, this comes de- after death comes judgment, uh, you know, uh, then their name is blotted out, and it no longer exists in there. In the end, the book only contains the lives of and names of those who are saved. This is the first time the book is called The Lamb's Book of Life. This last mention seems like it is almost a presentation it's the final draft of the book of life, and so it can be given to Jesus. It can be put into his hands. There'll be no changes after that. Some of you might write, or uh, even if you're writing memos and letters, I mean, you always want to change things. Email's terrible, isn't it? Man, why did I hit send? You ever doing that? You know, and then, then you send the next email that says, disregard the previous email. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. That's like when you tell juries not to regard those comments. I did it, Uh, Jerry, please disregard that comment. Sure, well, you know, we can't uh, think, it's like it never happened, right? And and so uh, this book finally is, it's done, it's final. Everybody that's going to be in heaven is in heaven, enjoying new earth and new Jerusalem. And it's the final draft of the book. And it's the Lamb's book because he alone made it possible for anyone to be saved. It is the conclusive record of, of the result of his work. And I I can imagine, this is just my imagination because I know Jesus loves us. I imagine that he'll flip through that book all the time and find your name, find my name, and say, oh yeah, there was, Gene, Gene, you remember in 1979 when when I saved you? You remember what was happening? And oh, man, that episode in 1980, that was rough. But you sought me for forgiveness and we got through that. Oh, 1985, you came to Hanford boy, did I fool you there? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And and But the Lord, I mean, really, it's like a, a keepsake, a memory book at that point. It's not just some ledger getting dust in, you know, city hall. Uh, I mean, it's a book. It's the Lord's book. It's, this is the Lamb's book of life. If you visit Jesus, he's probably going to have it as a coffee table book. Oh, would you like to see my book? These are the people I died for. I died for you. And I have a book of you. And here's your tears. I've got them saved in a bottle. I mean, it'd be great to visit Jesus. I mean, what a hospitality, right? I'm making all that up, but it's all from the Bible. and, And that's what I like to think is gonna happen. Your name right now is in the book of life. It only remains there if Jesus is your lamb. Someone must die for you to have a relationship with God. That someone was Jesus. Until he came from heaven to earth, Lambs and other animals were acceptable, but temporary sacrifices. Jesus died in your place as the final sacrifice, the one that all the lambs anticipated. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Believe God that Jesus was the God-man who died for you and then rose from the dead. You learn at the beginning of chapter 22, you're going to have a vista of this pure river. You've been out on the porch looking over the hustle and bustle of activity between the nations of of New Earth and New Jerusalem. Time to take a stroll to see what's happening down in the city. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Bottled water is classified as either still or sparkling. Heavenly water is something beyond those descriptions. It is here called clear as crystal. I don't know what it is, but I'm thirsty just reading it. Aren't you? It's gonna be way better than Fiji, which uh, is consistently the world's number one water as far as people are concerned, Fiji. Did you know, I'll just, I have to say this. There's a huge world of water. I mean, you you might think there's, oh, look at all these brands. I looked this up, I was gonna go use this for an introduction, but it didn't work out. In Italy alone, in Italy alone, there are 600 brands of bottled water. Not imported. These are bottled in Italy. And almost every country has hundreds of bottled waters that you're never going to hear of. Uh, and and it, I, I want to drink them, don't you? Especially the sparkling ones. If you're, and by the way, if you're a real connoisseur of water, you don't get ice in your bottled water. I would like a $300 bottle of San Benito with Hanford ice cubes. (laughs) Now, there's nothing wrong with Hanford water, but they don't mix, you know. You don't want to mix your local ice cubes with your expensive water. So you'll thank me for that one time. I see no reason to think of this as a metaphor. This is water in a river from which you'll be able to drink. Robert Thomas writes, unlimited access to this life-giving water will assure residents of New Jerusalem of an everlasting enjoyment of life. The source of this river is the throne of God. At the very least, this tells you it can never run dry. It will never be diverted, never dammed up, never corrupted. There's not going to be any signs on the side of the Golden Road in New Jerusalem about farmers and water. I mean, there'll be plenty of water to go around. More than that, it will satisfy you. The prophet Jeremiah said of Israel... For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. A cistern was an earthen reservoir to hold runoff and rain. Think of the ponding basins that are on properties in Kings County. Would you rather drink from a stagnant water uh, ponding basin or from the river of life that God offers? Israel consistently chose the stagnant water. Religion, philosophy, psychology, politics, education, all of those are stagnant water offering to satisfy your thirst. F.B. Meyer wrote, God has set eternity in our heart and man's infinite capacity cannot be filled or satisfied with the things of time and sense. We might say that he uh, has set uh, living water in our uh, bellies in the sense that we will never be satisfied by any other drink other than that of the living water of God. Captain Barbosa said, the drink would not satisfy. We are cursed men, Miss Turner. The human race is under a curse. Jesus reverses the curse. Only Jesus can satisfy our thirst. You are spiritually thirsty because we are under the curse in unredeemed physical bodies. The only thing that can satisfy that is the one who has overturned the curse, who died for the curse, who can now give you sparkling clear living water. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. There are two main views on the description of the tree in relation to the river. Uh, We have a hard time picturing exactly its description. Charles Spurgeon wrote, the picture presented to the mind's eye would appear to be that of a wide street with a river flowing down the center like some of the broad canals of Holland, with trees growing on either side, all of them of the same kind, all of them called the tree of life. John Walver wrote, the visual picture presented is that of the river flowing down through the middle of the city, and the tree large enough to span the river so that the river is in the midst of the street, and the tree is on both sides of the river. We remember the tree of life from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lost access to it, being exiled from Eden when they disobeyed God by eating instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From the account in Genesis, it would seem that there is only one tree of life, not a forest full of them. It was initially in Eden. God must have it in a heavenly nursery, waiting for its transplanting in the new Jerusalem. I can envision a tree of life replanting ceremony, right? Uh, maybe Adam and Eve can throw the first dirt in. It would be a f- come full circle on grace, right? They, uh, they, re- they messed it all up, and now they can help make it right. I always think of eternity as timeless, but it isn't. There won't be a lunar calendar because there's no Luna, but there will be a 12-month calendar in eternity. No night, always day, yet we will somehow understand and track the passage of time. In every survival show, the people keep track of the days until their experience comes to a much welcomed end. Survivor, they always know what day they're on and how many tribal councils there are. Uh, We watch the show alone where they put people who are crazy out into the wilderness to fend for themselves, and they always whittle away how many days they've been there, wondering if they're ever gonna get off. We're gonna keep track of days, but in a different way. We will welcome them because when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And so we'll get to, you know, probably won't mess up the jams on your new Jerusalem house, but uh, somehow you'll keep track of the time. Maybe you have a day planner. Remember day planners before there were computers? I was going through a bunch of old junk yesterday, getting rid of stuff. That's my, my life's ambition now is to get rid of stuff. And I found a bunch of old day planners, like notebooks. I'm like, this is like the, it's like a fossil. Uh, this could be in the Smithsonian. It's so weird, you know? But uh, anyway, I don't know how we're going to keep track of time, but in eternity, it'll be like, oh, I've been here 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun. I've got another 10, 20,000, 20 million, 20 billion, you know? It's going to be exciting to keep track of time. I don't know if you realize it or not, but in eternity, we will all be fruitarians. Right now there's all the, oh, I'm a carnivore, you know, you have to eat meat, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, you know, that kind of thing. Everybody makes fun of me. I, I, I eat meatless, have for several years, everybody makes fun of me. Go ahead, make fun of me. Ask me where I get my protein from so I can ask you where you get your riboflavin from. But anyway, so there's all, in eternity, you and I will be fruitarians because nothing dies. No animals will die. No animals were harmed in the making of heaven. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. No roadkill. You're not gonna, nobody's gonna die inadvertently. And uh, in, in, in the garden, they ate fruit. They had a bunch of trees, so, you know, I'm all for it. Housekeeping will stock a lifetime supply of Cool Whip in every mansion. Lots of, uh, lots of fruit salads. The citizens of New Earth will especially desire the leaves. The leaves are literally health-giving, not healing. No illness at all in eternity, so I'm not sure how the leaves impart health. I do remember the Star Trek episode in which the crew was influenced by plants that shot spores on them. When the spores hit them, they became euphoric and they, they thought they were in Eden. Of course, in a world with Captain Kirk, you need your pain. So he found a way to wreck everybody's lives and get back onto their five-year mission uh, to explore new worlds and you know, fight for the human cause. The following three verses ought to bring tears of joy, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. If not yourself, you know someone who has had cancer. If it is a tumor, a surgeon cuts it out. You want to hear him say, I got it all. You're cancer-free. New earth, new Jerusalem, the universe will be curse-free. Jesus Cut it out, as it were, on the cross when he said, It is finished. That's his declaration that there's no more curse for eternity. You will serve him. Now, before you wonder what kind of service you will render, look at Jesus. It's always a good idea to look to Jesus first. On earth, he was the servant of all. He said of himself that he came to serve, not be served. He didn't become a servant when he became human, he was already a servant. He voluntarily submitted to the plan to become human to become the God-man and die on the cross for a lost and perishing people who would initially reject him. He didn't quit serving when he ascended into heaven. He serves us, works on us and in us to change us from glory to glory into his image. In the book of Ephesians, we're told that Jesus washes us by the water of his word. In Western movies, the hero will come into town filled with dust and grime, check into the hotel and take a bath. He sits in the tub and every once in a while, someone brings in a fresh bucket of hot water and pours it in. Jesus would be the one pouring buckets. He does it for us, the washing of the water by the word. And so I say this with all reverence, Jesus in eternity continues to be, or right now continues to be a water boy. And so he is a servant no matter when you look at Jesus. And so whatever I need to do to serve him, it's gonna be a joy to be like him. And so it won't matter. What are you going to do in eternity? I don't know. We're not going to sit on clouds and play harps. But if we did, that would be enough. Uh, But I think there's going to be more than that. But it doesn't matter as long as you serve. Verse 4, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. You can see anyone's face in pictures. That was not possible when John wrote the revelation. And so this is a declaration we will be face to face with the Lord. Do we have forehead tattoos? Maybe, but here's another suggestion. The message version of the Bible reads, they'll look on his face, their foreheads mirroring God. In the Old Testament, Moses met with God. Afterward, his face would mirror God. It would glow for a while with the glory of God. Moses would wear a veil so the Israelites wouldn't see the glow fade and become saddened. The Apostle Paul used Moses as an example. He wrote to the church in Corinth saying, Moses put a veil over his face, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, that's us in, our, in the church age, the veil is taken away. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. And so what Paul essentially is saying is that, is that the Lord is, uh, when we look to the Lord, especially in his word, when we look in that mirror, we are we glow more and more because we reveal more and more about Jesus as we grow we glow supernaturals can probably see the glow you don't want to look to them like a flashlight needing batteries you ever grab the flash especially the ones with the 300 pound uh, d batteries in them you know and, and then you shake it and suddenly they oh yeah okay you woke us up we've been in there for a while we're sleeping you've got 10 seconds of bright light and then we're, then we're dead. You know? and so, so you don't want supernatural creatures to see you that way. And there might be times your countenance might reveal to human onlookers, the Lord is at work in you. I know the testimony of many believers who at some point in their life, uh, many of them at the beginning of their uh, Christian walk, their friends said, there just seems to be something different about you. There's a, there's a joy about you. There's almost a glow about you. And so not necessary. If nobody ever said that about you, don't worry. Nobody ever said that about me. I cry over it. But don't worry. Uh, But uh, it's possible. The glow might be what John described. His name on your forehead, uh, forehead could be his glory in your countenance being mirrored. There should be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. John wrote in his gospel, Jesus was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus came to offer salvation to the whole human race. Every man coming into the world. In the end, those who believe God walk the streets of New Jerusalem, the nations of New Earth, and who can say where else in the universe? The Lord of the Rings trilogy is among the greatest works of literature. Tolkien never lets us down. The ending is no exception. Sam returns home and says humbly, well, I'm back. And somehow it is just the absolute perfect ending to a magnificent journey. Well, I'm back. The words in verse five, and they shall reign forever and ever, are an I'm back ending. We'll be back to where it began, face to face with our Creator. What was lost in Eden, restored for eternity. You're writing a story right now as you walk with the Lord. Paul the Apostle says we're living epistles. If you were to die today or if the rapture occurred, what would the last line of your life be based on the life you're living right now? Think about it. It'd be a great devotion.